books don't change people's temperature. Reading good, solid, reform, pure to literature, reading especially the classics, that's had the biggest impact on my life. Well, good day and welcome to the Reformers Bookcast. You're listening to a between seasons season of archive interviews that we're bringing back from the past and releasing on podcast. This one we are bringing you was with uh, an expert in the Westminster Confession. And if you're familiar with the Reformed faith, you'll, you'll know that that's a, a very important confession. And uh, we spoke to him. His name is Chad Van Dixon, and we hope you enjoy it. G'day, Tom here from Reformers Bookshop with another Reformers interview. Today we are privileged to have Chad Van Dixon from Westminster Theological Seminary with us, as well as John McLean, uh, Vice Principal of Christ College. Mm-hmm. Welcome guys, thanks for coming Thank on. you. Thank you. Good. Um, now I thought we'd, we'd start, John, uh, Chad's written uh, a number of books. Uh, he's written Confessing the Faith, which is a, a commentary on the Westminster Confession, very helpful book. Uh, he's also written God's Ambassadors, uh, also studies on the Westminster Assembly. And his wife has written a study guide to the commentary, uh, Confessing the Faith Study Guide, which is uh, equally, if not maybe more helpful than <laughs> <laughs> the commentary. Yeah. Um, now, Chad, you, you, these books are all around the Westminster Assembly. Can yeah. you give us a, a bit of background um, as to why, what the Westminster Assembly was, why they came together and yeah. wrote yeah. the documents they wrote? Yeah. Westminster Assembly is a, a group that met together during the English Civil War in the 1640s uh, to try and reform the Church of England um, uh, with the hope that if the Church of England was, was reformed, there'd be one more reason for people to be fighting. Or one less reason, rather, <laughs> uh, for people to be fighting. Uh, uh, so, so 120 pastors are basically uh, uh, present in a room, not all at once, usually uh, 60, 80 at a time, discussing everything about pastoral theology, church life, theology, how to run a church, how to worship God and honor him. Um, and uh, they, they left behind really useful documents and they left behind uh, records of their own of their own meetings. So kind of records of, of the debates, the blow by blow of the conversations. So it's, a, it's, it's an enjoyable thing to study, to be a fly on the wall as a historian and kind of listen to the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but then they've also produced these really useful texts. So one of the one of the myths, I think it's a myth about the con- assembly is, they took a long time to do not very much. Yeah. But they actually got through a lot, didn't they? Well, they wrote about 140 different documents. Oh wow. And they would often produce things quite well. They were never fast, but they were always thorough. But they really did produce things. But there's also members. The assembly was responding to requests uh, by members of parliament, by the parliament itself in England, uh, to change the church. And often they would send things to Parliament, and Parliament just didn't like what they did. Uh, they said, this is how we should ordain ministers. And Parliament just said, yeah, we'll take the results, but we're going to chop out all the theology. And they, they would do this kind of thing often. Um, or they just sit on a document for a year or two and, oh, wow. and not really do anything with it. So that, to the public eye, the Westminster Assembly was slower than it actually was. So how, how long was it meeting for? So it started in 1643. It, it had finished church government and the confession and worship by 1646. Three years a couple catechisms after that, 1647. Proof text for all this. They had it d- done and dusted by 1648. But then it trundles on examining ministers, which is really the subject of the God's Ambassadors book. 
What are they looking for in ministers? What, what's, what's the big deal? Um, they continued that till 1653, so about 10 years. Five so of most of it done in five. Most of it done yeah. in five. Wow. And, and you mentioned some of the uh, documents that came out of it, so the, the confession. Yeah. Um, there's some church, church order as well. So right, so, so they have a directory for church government, okay. how you do discipline. Um, uh, should congregations be connected to each other? If so, how? Um, how, how, do, how, do you, uh, how does someone become an elder or a minister and so on? Church government. Uh, worship, giving directions for worship. It's kind of a do-it-yourself document, giving the component parts, but not telling you how you, how you have to order a service, but, but saying, here, here are the component parts. This is how it ought to be done well. Um, so, so a bit like, like the bunnings of liturgies, uh, rather than like a posh furniture store. The Book of Common Prayer had everything assembled and polished. Um, the Westminster Assembly said, now here's the raw parts, kind of put it together. You know, aisle 13 for the Lord's Day, you know, aisle five for, for singing psalms. <coughs> Um, and you, you mentioned this is back in the 1600s. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we like things that are modern and fresh. Yeah. What, why should we, as a church, um, be looking back at these documents? Yeah. And what, what should we be looking for in them? Yeah. Well, I'd be interested to hear what, what, what John has yeah. to say. But, but uh, I'd say the nice thing about 12 bullet points on a website is it captures the, uh, sort of the, the freshness and continuing testimony of the church today. Um, and uh, like snowflakes, they're beautiful, no two are alike. Uh, but the nice thing about a, about a classic confession is, is that it, first of all, it tends to cover a lot more topics. Uh, topics were, which are important, and, and just the fact that people thought these 33 topics were so important should be a reminder to us that, that, that maybe our, our center's a little bit too small. Um, I think it's also useful in uniting us uh, to, to Christians who have gone before us in a way that a modern statement doesn't always do. Is that because there's multiple people throughout history? Because there's generations of people who, who, have, who have used this text. Mm -hmm. So it, I think a creed or confession doesn't just have a systematic purpose. It also has a kind of creedal or ecumenical purpose. And this can capture something of the breadth of the church, because so many denominations use it. Uh, and it can capture something of the depth of, 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 our, of, our, of our communion with saints gone past, too. So that's a start. Mm -hmm. Do you want to, what are your thoughts? Oh, maybe this is perhaps similar to what Chad was just saying, but you know the old saying about we see further because we stand on the shoulder of giants. Mm. That God's church has a history, and certainly wisdom develops through history. There's there's false trials that happen as well, but there is a there's a heritage in which we 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 understand issues better because of those who've come before us and have thought it through, and the. Uh, sort of amnesia, the historical amnesia of thinking everything's got to be done again from scratch now. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's just to commit yourself to trying to reinvent the wheel and almost always you do a worse job. Um, then with the, the confession particularly, and the assembly particularly, it does providentially come at a moment when sort of reformed theology has matured. It's you know, 120 years after the Reformation, so there's been several generations of thinking through the implications of the Reformation. And I think that's one of the reasons why, mm. the, why the assembly documents have had such long-lasting um, acceptance, because yeah. they sort of represent a maturity of post-Reformation theology. Yeah, they've had a remarkable sticking power. Yeah. People yeah. at the assembly, some of, some of them just thought their work would last for a little while. Uh, and they found it funny that other people thought that people would be talking about them 
you know, well into the future. But imagine what they think now. Imagine yeah, what they think now. Right. Yeah. People writing yeah. books today. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that that's really helpful. So if if we're to, you know, find some value in these in these ancient documents, um, thinking more practically, both of you have been pastors in in the past. Um, how? What are some ways that you can use the confession and the catechism and the other documents that come out of the Westminster Assembly in your church, um, act yeah. actually to try and help you know strengthen the, the faith of those yeah. in the, those people? Yeah. Well, um, I think one way that the confession and the larger catechism are useful for helping preachers to think and teachers to think about the content of the faith and how the different um, doctrines interrelate and so I think there's plenty of room for actually quoting those things and exposing sure. people to documents but before you do that just helping you think through what the, the Bible teaches and it's sort of, it gives you a sense of proportion and order so you're, you're imagining you're, that as you're preparing a sermon you might go and refer to these things it's certainly to one different, yeah different topics right. and, yep yeah yep. um Yes, when you realise, okay, this passage I'm going to preach on touches on whatever doctrine it is, sanctification, yeah, yeah. it's often useful to go back and look at the confession and see, and the catechism and see what it says, and then you sometimes think, oh, there's aspects I hadn't thought of mentioning that probably I should. Or Yeah, yeah just, just staying with the preacher's use of these texts, I, I, I would do the same thing if I'm preaching a passage and I think, well, that brings up justification. I want to know what this passage says about justification, not about the just topic in general, but... I still want to look at the topic in general. Yeah, yeah, I want to yeah. see what what's a what's a helpful way of putting things, um, and and you know you've got a lot of pastors who've thought really hard about how to say things really well, mm. uh, and so that's useful for me as as, as a preacher. Um, and from time to time in preaching, certainly not all the time, but from time to time, I'd actually show people the relevant yes. section of a chapter, um, perhaps put it on the bulletin, the handout, or put it up on the screen just. To use it as a summary of what I've been saying, yep. and you know, say to people, "This is what the Westminster Assembly said all those years ago," and yeah. point out how helpful it is. Yep. Yeah. And they are incredibly concise. Aren't yes, they? that's right. Yeah, so they often very well worded. Often yeah. serve really nicely as a summary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, I, we've we've also in our church from time to time encouraged people to go to the larger catechism because it has a question and answers on sort of how to how to come to worship. What should you be thinking about? Mm. Maybe before, mm. during after uh, the preaching of the word or, 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 or communion or baptism and so on. So that in particular is a very churchly document, much neglected, but it's quite quite helpful. Does, does it differ much from the shorter catechism? It, it's, the longer is much longer. Uh, the larger is much longer. <laughs> Surprising. Uh, but, but yeah, the, the shorter has more of an individualist focus. Okay. And the, the, the larger will often ask, how does Christ's work impact the church Whereas the shorter is often saying the individual. Mm. So that makes the shorter more popular in evangelicalism. Yes, Because yes. we're not very thoughtful about the church a lot of times. Mm. Yeah. So you said you'd, you'd encourage people to go to it. How would you, what would that look like, that encouragement? Well, in our, in our church we occasionally will have a Sunday school, well, we have Sunday school classes. Yeah. Um, and I, when I taught, I taught our hour of instruction before the morning service for uh, maybe some years. This is for the adults, right? This is for the adults, yeah. yeah. I would have loved to get in with the teenagers too, but I, I do about 45 minutes of whatever, biblical exegesis, church history, something topical, and I'd always end the last 15 minutes with a, with a, a biblical reflection 
on the doctrine of a paragraph of the confession, just one week by week, maybe a paragraph or two, um, so that people were getting a, a, a meal from that. But I would sometimes also um, uh, maybe take something from the, from the larger catechism right. and just help people just reflect on that for a few minutes. Um, I found a lot of people not able to kind of consume an hour of systematic theology. Mm -hmm. uh, but 15 minutes they could always handle. That's good. And we would try and make it doxological. In fact, some of, much of that book, maybe all of it, has had some iteration through an adult education class prior to being in print. Mm. Yeah. And, and the book is quite, uh, ap like it drives you to application. Yeah. So yeah. It's very yeah. helpful in that way. Yeah. Seems fair that a book written about something written by Puritan should have application. <laughs> um, and I imagine you, if, you, if you didn't have an adult Sunday school, you could do that in a, in a Bible study or some yeah. other teaching session. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. very helpful. Did you, did you have any ideas? So I, would, I was going to say Bible study groups. I've certainly, I know a few people who've worked through the confessional part thereof in Bible study groups. Um, when, I was, when I was a pastor, we didn't have an adult Sunday school kind of pattern, but um, we certainly used to... After church, every so often, have a kind of open invitation seminar on a topic, and um, that's the kind of place again that you can yeah, use sure. a section or a chapter of the confession and explain it to people and answer questions. And it often touches on issues that the average thoughtful Christian has probably wondered about in the past, mm. but perhaps never heard addressed in preaching, mm. and perhaps have never quite managed to articulate the question. And when they yeah. see it. In the confession, like, mm -hmm. oh, that was actually what I've always that's, wondered that's about. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And my wife Emily leads a couple Bible studies, but she often uh, she, she's found that uh, often people are uh, really enjoying the Bible study, but they still have doctrinal questions that aren't being tackled. So she started taking a group through confessing the faith, oh, very good. Um, and she'd come up with questions and so forth for discussion, which is one of the origins of her study right. guide to. Uh, the con to, to confessing the faith um, and she, she's just good at asking questions and is kind of capturing the biblical questions the doctrinal questions and the application questions she also thought that uh, a lot of curricula for systematic theology are kind of trendy or shallow because there's lots of good stuff out there too but but she, she thought you know this could make a high school curriculum this could make a Sunday school curriculum yeah, yeah. this could make an elders training curriculum yeah. if we yeah. had a study guide because, uh, you know, I'm not really great at asking thoughtful discussion questions. Some people are good at it, so I'm glad she put her, she put her hand to that and yeah, yeah. has yeah. that utility. Yeah, I've certainly found the, the study good helpful in my own yeah. study. Yeah. yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the things that we try and, uh, and promote at the bookshop is using the confession or the um, catechism as well in family worship. Yeah. Um, have you had any experience with that? What, what, any tips, any ideas that you'd add? I, my children are young adults now, but several years ago we, we certainly worked through the, I think it was the Shorter Catechism. Um, and again, I guess a bit like I was saying in Bible study, often there's at least particular questions you land on that does start a discussion. And yeah, yeah. This is a topic they've never, you know, for teenagers, they haven't really thought about that before. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's a brilliant discussion every time, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nor would I claim the same for myself. So, so we've done any number of things, but we have tried um, to incorporate catechism into devotions uh, right from 
the youngest age, we would kind of make up our own little catechism. You know, who is God? And they'd make a noise. We'd say, yes, God. Or, or, <laughs> who made you God? What else did God make? They'd kind of raise their hands. We'd say, yes, all things. So we made that catechism. Then we had a children's catechism. And then we had them memorize. The oldest four children have memorized the shorter catechism. Um, I realized one of the impediments to them memorizing it was that they had to stand up front and uh, you know get an award from the pastor. Once I found out that that was the thing that they most dreaded, I said, "You don't need that." <laughs> and so they just learned it quietly on their own with you know bribery and assists and other things like that. Um, we, uh, I, I would read. I'd, I'd read a question, and then. Uh, maybe ask some leading questions, um, and uh, then we'd say it together as a family. So yeah. we did that, we, that was part of family worship. But most of our family worship is focused on the Word of God. Yes. So we're, we're always trying something new because I, I never do anything particularly well. Um, but right now we, we're doing a pattern of evening worship is reading a, reading a part of the Bible, talking about it, singing. Morning worship is like the doxology, reading a catechism question, and doing prayer requests. I read the one from the day before, I read this one, I maybe make a couple quick comments. Yeah. Um, the, uh, for, for what it's worth, when the Shorter Catechism first came out, different manuals popped out immediately, uh, uh, helping people uh, figure out how to use it. Mm. And one of the guys said, look, this is gonna be complicated for people. Uh, so, what, so what we need is, is for heads of households, whoever's leading devotions, uh, first just to read it through, question by question, you know, day by day. See if there's anything, any words people don't, don't, don't understand. Second run through, kind of uh, ask questions about it, and eventually maybe even try and memorize it. So that was one approach. Another guy created this little cute little manual uh, with the leading questions already supplied. So you'd have, you'd have the question, what is the chief end of man? And then he'd say, is it to do whatever you want? And then he'd have in the margins, no. Uh, is it uh, you know, to become sort of rich and wealthy? And in the margins, no. Is it to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Like, yes. Uh, just sort of step by step. The truth is, for kids, sometimes young ones, it was, it was a good idea. Yeah. I mean, I laughed when I saw it, but, you know, I can see it that has way. utility. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Thank you um, for those helpful ideas. Uh, one of the things we love to do on these interviews is to talk about reading. Um, so I wanted Chad and John, what, what are you reading at the moment? Uh, I've just been reading a book on the history of evangelicalism in Australia, The oh, yes. Fount of Public Prosperity, I think that's what it's called. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that, that's, that's introduced me to all sorts of parts of early Australian history that I really wasn't very aware of anyway, and certainly the depth of involvement of evangelicals in the development of the colony oh, is, yeah, great story. Yeah, great. Hmm. I, I'm just reading Bits and Bobs, a biography of John Knox. Um, by a historian Jane Dawson, which I'm enjoying. Um, I'm reading a World History of Christianity by I think a edited by Adrian Hastings, which has a nice section on Australia and Australasia. Um, he uh, let, let me see what else. Uh, oh, and, I, and I'm reading for my edification uh, the uh, the boy. What's it called? Maybe the memoirs or something like that by Andrew Bonar. Okay. It's a Banner Truth book out of print, I think. Um, but it's it's been helpful for me. He's a little he's too introspective, I, but nonetheless, he's really provoked me to think through my prayer life in really helpful ways. Mm. So just just three things that come to mind. Mm. Thanks. Yeah. And uh, we asked John this last time, but Chad, do you have any tips for for our listeners? Um, 
how to how to read better or how to get more out of a book? Boy, I, I don't know that I'm brilliant with this, but I, I'm, I'm definitely a read-with-the-pen kind of guy. Yeah, okay. I get less out of a digital book, more out of one where I can where I can just mark things up, I write things. And at the end of every chapter, I always write down either uh, sort of questions for discussion, should I ever end up assigning the book to students, uh, or, or, or just little summaries of that chapter. And at the end of the book, I put my random notes. It's always in the back fly, things that interest me, you know, page whatever, blah, 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 blah. And uh, so that, that becomes a tool uh, uh, for, for future use, and that's really paid off for me. Very good. Thanks for that. Hmm. Um, well, I think that's all we have time for. So thank you very much, right. Chad, for joining us, and thank you, John. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.